Well, it's so great to have you with us again on this weekend as we worship the living God. And as we think about it, we're in a book, the book of Exodus, which is a book written in the Old Testament, and yet it's so appropriate for the days in which we live right now because things were happening that were so surprising to those around who couldn't quite understand what was happening, why it was happening, and who was making it happen. But as we think about it, that's just like what we are living out today. And this morning, it's interesting, we're going to be talking about worship challenges. Some people call that at worship wars, and before you turn us off, this is kind of an interesting book in where we are right now, because so far, what we've seen in Exodus, it's like an action flick. Uh, we've just gone through a, a number of chapters in, in the book of Exodus in which uh, just uh, unreal things have been happening. Uh, for instance, uh, there have been large bodies of water that have been turned blood red, and then, then all of a sudden there was these groups of frogs that went everywhere, and then flies and gnats were just irritating the heck out of people, and, and then all of a sudden there was livestock just dying around all those people who were prospering because of what they owned and had, and, and then all of a sudden things were coming from out of the sky, and hail was hitting everybody, and and then people were, they were experiencing things on their body they'd never seen before. There, there were boils everywhere. And if you've never seen a boil, it's like a, a blown up pimple. You know, it's just way beyond what you could imagine. And, and, and then all of a sudden, everything got dark. And we all know what happens when everything gets dark. So it gets kind of scary out there. And they, they were already scared about what was happening. And then, and then there was death. In the midst of all that, you were wondering what's going to happen next, and what happened next was, again, an action flick. As the people of God, the Israelites left Egypt. Finally, as God moved in the heart of Pharaoh, he relented and let his people go. As they began to travel out in amazing ways, they were somewhat confused about God's game plan, and they went away a different way than they thought they were going. They were going the long way, and as they were going, it looked like they were, they were aimlessly moving. In fact, that was noticed by Pharaoh and his people, so they went after them. They went after them to bring them back because they were his labor force. And as they went out, they, they brought out the tanks, and, and really what they brought out were weapons of mass destruction. And if you were with us last week, that's the, that's the phrase I couldn't remember. Uh, they came out with things that, that Israel did not have. Those, those, those chariots were these weapons that they could not face and, and have any sense on their own to come out victoriously. But God showed up, and, and hopefully during these times, you, you've experienced God showing up for you. And, and he did in so many dramatic ways for them. He, he led them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And, and these miraculous things have not been my experience, but I've had some God moments in my life where the only way I could explain what happened is that, that God showed up. And so in the midst of this, it's kind of an exciting book to look at as we see God showing up in the worst of times and making the worst of times, in some ways, the best of times. And Hopefully you've experienced that in the midst of everything changing. Maybe now you've got this sense of what's really important and you're spending more quality time with the people you should spend quality time with, those who are in your family and those who are your friends and those you have responsibility for and maybe they have some responsibility for you as well and relationships have been deepened. But in the midst of all that, all of a sudden you now go from chapter 14 to chapter 15, and, and now everything breaks out in a song. And, and, and as I think about that, I often take a step back and say, I, I'm, I'm going to skip this chapter and look for something a little bit more exciting to, to, be, to be challenged by or be, to be amazed by. And, and yet in this particular chapter, what we see about is what is really important. 
And there are challenges to worship. And what I want to begin with this, this morning, to kind of give you an introduction to this, is, is I want to give you some unreal challenges to worship, and then I want to talk about real challenges to worship. The unreal challenges is really maybe some of the things that we all battle at times. We're thinking, well, you know, I'm just not a worshiping kind of people, a person. Uh, that's just not, just not where I'm at. That's not what I'm into. All this music or all these religious rituals, uh, I'd rather get onto the kind of the good stuff or the different stuff that might be in the Bible or, or maybe what life is all about. But I, what I want to deal with that, some unrealistic challenges to worship, some things that really are not really good reasons not to worship. And then secondly, deal with the real challenges is even when we do worship, can we worship the right way? What are the unreal challenges to worship? Uh, the first one I think you could say, put it this way, is, is I'm not religious and I don't believe in God. So worship, worship is not anything I need to participate in. And, and maybe that's where you're at. And for some reason, you're on, on this online service and, and you're kind of confused at this moment right now and saying, what's this worship all about? And if I'm not religious, does this really have any meaning for me? Well, well, can I submit to you that really everybody in the world is religious? Not in how we normally defy religion, because religion, we think of some kind of a ritual you go through that is somewhat mystical, and it goes down a defined path that others have gone down already before, and you've got to do what they did. But religious, is, is that which defines who you are and, and what you consider as valuable, in fact, can I give you this definition of, of religion and what it means for everyone to be religious? Everyone is religious who has something or someone of supreme value or importance to them. A person who is religious if he has, he has something or someone of supreme value or importance to them. And really, I think this is true of people of any age. Uh, just a couple days ago, I had my... Um, my grandson, Jack, who is two going on three, he thinks he's like 15 or 16. But, you know, if I were to ask him, though he probably couldn't put in words right now, though he's talking up a, uh, just a storm right now, uh, what is really of supreme value to him, it would be obvious to me. What is of supreme value to him is play. What Jack wants to do nonstop is he wants to play. Uh, we were eating dinner with the family uh, on, I think it was Tuesday night, and it, as he was there, it, it, you know, he, he finished before everybody else did because uh, he doesn't worship food. He, he wants to eat and then get out. And, and so we're eating, and, and all of a sudden, he's starting to tug on my hand and tug on my shirt, and he, and he says, Papa, come. Papa, come. And what did he mean by that? He wanted me to leave me eating, which at that point I was almost worshiping. That was what was most important to me. He wanted me to come and play. And as you think about that, we all have things that are important to us. And at the highest place of our value or importance, is that what we worship? And really think about your own life. What is of most importance to you? What do you value more than anything else? And for some, it's their health. For some, it might be their family. For some, it might be their car or their job or their, or their friends or, or their looks or their, or their popularity or their, or their freedom or, or lack thereof. And really, what is most important to you is that what you worship. And in that list, a number of those things, there's nothing wrong with them, and some of them have great value and great importance. But in that list, every one of those things can be taken from you. You, you might not have the freedom to play like you like at, that, at any moment of your day, like Jack. Uh, 
there might be some times where your family is gone or, or maybe they've passed away and in a week I'm going to be doing a service for my aunt and, and that family is, is I'm extremely close to and it is one that we have loved and have so many fond memories of. Uh, uh, she's no longer with us. And as you think about family and friends and health and looks and popularity or, or things you enjoy doing you can no longer do because they're, maybe they're too expensive to do or they don't let you, let you on the course or the court, uh, it's something that can be taken away from you. But if something of a supreme value, you want to have that which cannot be taken from you. And can I, might, can I submit to you that the thing you ought to worship more than anything else is that which can't be taken from you. And what can't be taken from you or from me is my, my relationship with God and with the people of God who are going to last forever. My aunt who, who, who knew God, who knows God, I'm going to see her again. And so I want to submit to you that worship is all about knowing what is of supreme value, of what is of most importance, and that which can't be taken away from you. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, and they're speaking of God, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse." We have no excuse to say there is no God because God has shown himself in all that he has created and all that he has made, but we, we just turn from him. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says this, For they, which could include us, or maybe not, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And I want to submit to you what is of supreme value and importance who is the one who brought this all into existence. Find in your heart, find in your mind, find in who you really are that which is of supreme value and importance and worship it and worship him. But secondly, sometimes we struggle with worship. We have challenges with worship because we kind of reduce it to a form of worship. I don't like the music. It's not my style. And there's so many barriers we have of, of sometimes not going to a place in which people are at and they're, they're expressing worship. Uh, and sometimes it's because of the music. And we'll say, I don't like the music. And, and it's not my style. And, and you miss the whole point. What worship is, is expressing your love and appreciation and the worthiness of the one you see of supreme value and importance. And, and a great way to do that is in music. And it, it's not the style. It's it's the words. It's, it's the content. It's the content of the song. You know, in Psalm 150, it's interesting. In Psalm 150, it, it describes uh, worship in the Old Testament. And, and it, it's very repetitious. And some people don't like songs that have repetition in it. But, but think about Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in his mighty expanse. Praise him in his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with string instruments and pipe. Praise him with the cymbals. Praise him with the sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And of course, there it says, every, everything that is alive ought to give praise and thanksgiving to the, the one and only true God. But, you know, there's some repetition there. In the six verses, one phrase is used nine times. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. I kind of get the idea that the psalmist is saying that we ought to, we ought to, we ought to praise him. And, and there are three other ways that's said it's praise the Lord and praise God. And if you add all those up to 12 times in six verses, there's one thing. Praise him. 
Praise God. Praise the Lord. And use everything you have around you to, to express enthusiasm back to God. And I want you to understand that it's really not about the music. And we have a variety of worship forms in our church here. But it's really not about what, what you really like. It's about what that, what that music is expressing back to God. It's about the content. It's about the message of, of who God really is. And when people say they only like traditional music, well, how traditional do you want to get? You know, if you look in the Old Testament, I did some research this week again, and we don't have time to go through all the details, but, you know, in the Old Testament, we're going to look at one of the worship songs of the Old Testament. Uh, basically, it was, uh, it was all sung maybe in melody, but there wasn't much of a melody, and what, whatever, whatever was sung, the only thing that was common about that, it was loud. In fact, some will comment about that. There was a lot of dissonance. And what we would say, if we heard how they sang that song in the Old Testament or the songs of the Old Testament, it would be hard for us to hear. But in the midst of it, because it simply wasn't according to our musical taste, but it was all about the message. What were they singing about and who were they singing to? And so as we think about that, God wants us to recognize, you know, we can go back in church history. And if you go back a few years, how far do you want to go back? It was basically Gregorian chants. And as I was reading about that, some uh, allowed them to have instruments, and some did not allow them to have instruments. And, and then you go in the Baroque style, then you had the Renaissance style, then you had Martin Luther bringing some of the music from, from the, the streets into the, into the church, and they controlled the words, but the tunes were, were borrowed from that which was popular to the people of that day. It, it really does not matter what style you use. It's really about what's, what's in the message. And really, it's looking around the people around you. Is it ministering to them? It doesn't have to be your style, but is it really expressing supreme value and importance to the one that you really want to lift up? So there's a couple unrealistic reasons sometimes we struggle or have a challenge with the worship. Sometimes we just don't see ourselves as a religious person. And and quite frankly, I, I don't try to tell people I'm religious, even though I'm a pastor. I, I, that term seems to not describe who I am. I have a relationship with God because I see him of extreme value and importance. And then secondly, it's really not about the music. It's not about what, what I connect to personally. It's who am I trying to connect to? But what I want to talk about today, going from Exodus chapter 15, is, is what do we learn about the real challenges in Scripture the real challenges in Scripture is not do I consider myself a religious person or do I believe in God, but what, what do I value? What do, do I consider of, of most importance? And it's really not about style or kinds of music. It, it's really about who am I expressing enthusiastically his importance to me. And, and this is what we found in Exodus chapter 15. As is, is we know in Exodus chapter 15, <laughs> before Exodus chapter 15, is Exodus chapter 14, and, and that concludes this way. Exodus chapter 14, verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, those who were facing him with the tanks, the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, they, were, they were hemmed in by the lake and the desert, and, and God delivered them by parting the Red Sea. And it says in verse 31, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, which is synonymous of a placing him of the highest value, putting him first, recognizing above all else, he is at the center of who they are. They don't have to fear anything in the world, only fear displeasing him. And they believed in the Lord, and then it says this, and in his servant Moses. So after Moses went to be the un most unpopular man in uh, 
the nation of Israel. He became the most popular person. And what does he do? Exodus chapter 15, it says this. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said. So what happened? <laughs> he broke out in song. Now, I don't know about you. It appears to me that Moses is the one who wrote the song. God inspired that to happen. Unless you're particularly... Specifically, you know, poetic, particularly poetic uh, and musical, you probably haven't written a whole lot of songs. Maybe you've written some poems that you gave to uh, that loved one in your life and tried to impress them. Maybe you didn't impress them because you weren't very poetic. Uh, But what happens here is that God moves Moses to move his people to express worship to God, which is, again, expressing supreme value or importance to the one who's most important to you most valuable to you. As you look at this, it's an 18-verse song, and I'm not going to sing it, so you can just relax. And then secondly, I'm not going to dissect every stanza in this song, but we're going to look at it and see what are the principles of what worship is all about. And if, if we are called to know God, we are called to, to give Him worship, to express value and importance because of, of who He is and what He has done. And so we're going to break it down in this way. And this song, this song has broken, been broken down in so many different ways. I'm going to do it in two ways. Uh, it's been broken down in sections of two and three and four stanzas. But we're going to look at two stanzas looked at in a slightly different way. What is worship? Well, worship is all about doing this. It's about truly singing about the Lord. And then secondly, it's truly about singing to the Lord. And how do we see that here? Well, it begins this way. Moses begins singing. It says, well, all the sons of Israel as well. So this, there was a mass of people proclaiming that out enthusiasm. And he says this, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. And just to give this as a clue, it's interesting as he writes this hymn of, of uh, praise, this song of praise, he begins by giving the chorus or the refrain, and then at the end, he ends with the chorus and refrain. So this was probably repetitively said throughout the singing of this uh, song. And and really begins this way. It's all about knowing who is the Lord. He's the exalted one. And then also knowing what has the Lord done. He has delivered us by dealing with our enemy and has set us free. But then he goes on and says this, "The, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Now, I'm going to get technical here just for a moment. As he begins this song, what is interesting about this, he, 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 states, he states God uh, in the third person. So he, he is singing about him. He's just speaking about his actions and what he has done. And so he uses it in the, second, in the third person. And when he does that, he focuses it. It's all, about, it's all about him. And if worship is all about him, then you can understand the following line. It, it, that means it's not about you. And, and this is really significant here, and that's why I read that earlier passage in Exodus chapter 14, is that Moses was at the height of his popularity. And there are other songs of victory in the Old Testament and the New Testament in which how God has used a particular person is found in the song, and, and they are praised about God using that person in a dramatic way. But in this psalm of, of praise from Moses, 
It's interesting that Moses' name is not mentioned once. It's not mentioned that, that he was the one who stood strong. It was the, it's not mentioned that he's the one who prayed to God when no one else wanted to pray to God. He was the one who didn't complain when, when everybody else was complaining. He was the one who was standing in, in, in a very kind of a sobering way to stand up and, and lift up a, a, a staff to part the Red Sea. But he's not mentioned at all because he is not at the heart of worship. It, it's never about us. Uh, again, I shared with you a couple weeks ago that I haven't had the chance to watch The Last Dance. And for those who aren't sports enthusiasts, that's, that's the, the story, the documentary about Michael Jordan and, and the Chicago Bulls. Now, for those who have seen it, and there are a number of people who have, have seen it, that, you know, they, they tell me about all the amazing things that the Michael Jordan did during those years. But can you imagine The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls and their three-peat of championship? And not once through the, the 10 episodes, Michael Jordan's name was never mentioned. You, you couldn't have that documentary without Michael Jordan being in it. But this is what happens here. Moses is not mentioned because it's not about him. And it's not about you. And I hate to admit, it's, it's not about me. And what you have here is he, he, he sings about the Lord and just repeating what I just read, what does he say about the Lord? He says, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He's, he's worth singing about. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't think anybody has ever made up a song about me. I'm, I'm not somebody else's song, but God is our song. We, we have something, someone to sing about. The Lord is my strength. He's my song. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my God. The Lord is the one I shall praise. The Lord is the one I will extol. The Lord is my warrior. The Lord is his name. And that's pretty significant right there. As you think about worship, it's one thing to worship God in general, but what we need to realize is that God is a real person. And really what you have here, it's all about the Lord. In fact, as I mentioned, Moses is not used once in these 18 verses, which include the song. But, you know, the Lord... And it's in capital letters, which means it's the name, covenant name Yahweh, the self-existent one, the, the one in which everyone, everything in this world has come into existence. His name is used 10 times. And as, as we think about worship and, and knowing the one who is of supreme value and importance, it, it's so critical to know who he is. And in the New Testament, it proclaims it this way, that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, delivered from our sin, apart from Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so as Moses speaks about the Lord, Yahweh, as the one and only true God, we look forward to the time in which God fully revealed himself through Jesus. And it's putting our faith in the Lord, Jesus, that brings us into relationship with him. So worship, worship is really all about acknowledging who is Lord, and singing about him and realizing it's, it's really not about us. But as we think about that, it's not only that which we can glean from this worship song, but it's also about knowing it's not only do we sing about the Lord, we sing to the Lord. We sing to the Lord. And as we think about that, this is, this is declared very creatively in this, this song. Because you go through verses 1 through 5, and it's very personal. Uh, and as you think about the I and the my, let me just say it this way. It's said in the first person singular as, they, as only Moses was singing it, but they were all singing it. So the I is that plural we. 
We have God as our salvation. We have God as our song. We have God as our strength. But then it goes on, and as you look at referring to God in the third person, now it goes from 6 through 17, 6 through 18, referring to God in the, uh, the second person, person, in terms of, of, of grammar. And, and so you have you and yours throughout the entire section here. And, and now we're singing to God, just reading some of the beginning verses. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And the greatness of your excellence, you, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, what a, what a picture here, the waters were piled up. God sneezed, and all the waters were put on both sides. Now, the reason that's important is, is again, is when we think about worship, particularly expressed in song. We, we need to realize it's, it's not about us when we think about the song is about God, but it's also not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me when, when I sing expressions of praise to God through song uh, because it's, it's sung to God. It, it's not sung to the people around you. We're, we're not performing. Uh, we're not worried about what other people are thinking when we are expressing praise to God because we're saying it to him. In one sense, I guess you could say this, that we're singing to an audience of one. And that's what Moses taught his people right from the very beginning. As we remember how he delivered us with the 10 plagues and with the party in the Red Sea, it's about him and it's to be communicated to him. And I guess I could just express that just very personally for all of us. When's the last time you actually sang to the living God? An expression of your heart about his value and importance in your life. That, that's what worship is all about. It's singing about him and it's singing to him. You know, the, the Bible says that so often we think about ourselves much more than we should ever think. That's what humility is. Humility is just not thinking about yourself so much and thinking about the people around you, and really thinking about what God thinks about how you're living, what you're doing. And the Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 1, as well as 98, verse 4, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's not about how well you sing. It's about who you are singing to. Does that make sense? And some, some translations say, just shout joyfully to the Lord. If, you're, if your expression doesn't sound like music, just shout it out, because you're singing to him. You know, it's not about you. Uh, you know, I have a particular gift in my life. I, I, I can figure out really quickly what irritates people. And uh, at, at home, in fact, <laughs> there are a lot of people in my life who would say amen to that. And, at home, I, I figured out with, with my wife, Alice, that if I want to irritate her, I, I simply want to say whenever anything happens in life or we're planning something, I always say, it's all about you. It's all about you. And that just irritates her. And so I just keep saying it all the time. But just recently, he said, look at, look at, uh, you know, you're a pastor. Don't you realize it's not about me? It's really about Jesus. And, and so as you think about it, as we express what worship is all about, it's knowing who is really important and who is of greatest value. It's, it's expressing truth about him and expressing truth to him. 
But real quickly, let's, let's look at a few other things in this song of praise, this song of Moses, or as some say it's called the song at the sea, because not only it's about singing about God and singing to God or to the Lord, it's also realizing when we sing, we look backwards and forwards. It's about singing about what God has done, and it's recognizing about what God will do. In verses 1 through 12, really what you have to do is you, they're recounting what God did in delivering them particularly parting of the Red Sea. Uh, Look at verse 8. We read part of it. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were concealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be glorified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. And you blew with your wind and you covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And so as we think about worship or praise or thanksgiving, and sometimes at the moment, something good is not happening. And all we're thinking about the things that are going wrong and right. Well, how do we praise when we don't feel like it? And so often we think about worship as expressing our feelings. Now, what it is is expressing truth. And for them to be able to sing out, all they had to do was to look back at what God had done. And when we look about what God has done, what, what, what it what it expresses is gratitude to God. And also, just put another way, theologically what it does is it recognizes God's past grace. The grace is, is getting what we don't deserve. They, they didn't deserve to be rescued from, from Egypt. They, they, were, they were sinners just like Egyptians. But God had reached down and touched them. And he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be loving and providing and protecting of you. And, and so what they needed to do even in the days to come is to recognize that as we think about having the ability to give present praise, we have to look at past praise. What has God done? And so they look back at what God had done and, and they expressed it to them. But when you think about that, God wants us to, to, to move on. He doesn't want us to stay just in the past. And sometimes what we want to do is look back at the good old days. Well, if we were honest, the good old days aren't always as good as we think they are. And they wanted to go back to Egypt because they'd forgotten how bad it was. And so not only do we need to look at past grace, what God has done, but as we worship, it's about what God will do. And it's about, when that happened, it's about confidence, confidence living in the future and expressing that God has a future grace. Uh, Look at uh, Exodus chapter 15, verses 13 through 17, just to read those real quickly. They're singing this out, and I don't know what the tune was, and I don't know what instruments they were using, but I know this, it was loud and it was enthusiastic. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. Your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. And he's saying, they're speaking about that, that land that he was going to provide for them. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. What are they talking about there? They're talking about the nations they're going to encounter when they get to the land of Canaan. And they were a ferocious, uh, warlike people. But when they heard of the power of God of the Israelites, they recognized that now they were fearful. Verse 15, then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Uh, this had not happened. They have not even arrived on the scene, but they know that God is going before them. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they're motionless as stone. Until your peoples pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. This is sanctuary, O Lord, 
which your hands have established. And so they were looking to the future. God has been faithful to them in the past, and they know he's going to be faithful to them in the future. Now, we don't know what our future is going to be here, here on earth. What are some of the new challenges we're going to face? What are some of the temporal defeats we'll have because we live in a fallen world? But we, we know our future is settled. That in the end, we do win because God has established a place for us. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, what I would have told you. But Jesus told us, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. So we know that this, this, this world is not our home. We're just passing through, and God will be faithful. He will provide for us, giving us what we don't deserve. And whether it's here or in the place we're going to be, God will be gracious and faithful. And because of that, we can live with confidence because of not only his past grace, but his future grace. And so as we think about worship and, and doing it right, and as someone has said, you know, you, you can choose to believe whatever you think is right, but it doesn't mean everything that you think is right is right. Then what's right about worship? It's really not about you. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about God. It's about the Lord. And we ought to sing to the Lord. And we ought to sing to the Lord about what he has done and what he will do. But I think it's also important to recognize this. It's, it's also understanding it's about worshiping with God's people. Now, we can't physically get together in large groups right now worshiping God's people, but even as we gather online and as we think about spending time with God's people in a virtual way, we're, we're doing it because we're not, we're not in this alone. And what's interesting to me, after Moses leads the men singing, we pick up the account in verses 19 through 21. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and the horsemen went into the sea and the Lord brought them back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. So looking back at God's grace and defeating their enemy. Then verses 20 and 21, it says this. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand. A little, little background information about this. If you've ever watched the Prince of Egypt, you you would think that uh, Miriam was this young gal out there singing, and she was maybe a teenager. Well, uh, she was the older sister of Moses and Aaron, and we know in, I think it's Exodus chapter 7, that Moses at the time of the Exodus was 80. His brother Aaron was 83, and if she was the older sister, and if we think about she being around at a young age when, but responsible age, when Moses was put in the... Uh, uh, the basket down the Nile River, is that uh, she's probably in her 90s, maybe, maybe 91, 92, 93, but she's filled with enthusiasm. And so we heard about the men, but now we're going to hear about the women. Uh, it, it says this, and all the women were, went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And, and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. And I hope you just get the simple point I'm trying to draw from this passage is that as you think about worshiping, uh, sometimes what we do is, oh, I don't need to go to church to worship. I don't need to even be, go online to worship. I don't need to make it a habit of, of being with God's people, whether it's in this creative form and, and medium we have to our day or when we have opportunities to, to physically be face-to-face. I, I don't need that. I can, I can do it on my own. Can I just submit to you that that was never done <laughs> Uh, unless an extenuating circumstance where you were physically all alone, you were always longing to be with God's people to express worship. 
And so when you think about this song of praise, this song of worship, all the men were involved and all the women were involved. And they were expressing it in an enthusiastic way. Maybe sometimes you've seen children get together at school or at church and they're all given instruments and they're just pounding away. Let's be honest, unless you're their parent or grandparent, you're thinking they're just making noise out there. But what you're impressed with is they're enthusiastically giving noise. And particularly if the, if the song has a meaning to it, you're just filled with just excitement, enthusiasm, because they're expressing what's deep in their heart. Can I just submit to you that you ought to long to be with God's people and worshiping not only the living God, but worshiping with, him, with them the living God. And like I said, verse 1 begins this song, and verse tw- uh, 21 ends the song, and it's the same phrase. There was, a, there was a phrase. In fact, some feel what happened in this particular song, it was, it was sung by way of repetition. You'd, you'd, you'd have one stanza or a couple of lines read or sung, and, and then they would all break out in this, these two, two lines here of God's greatness. He's the one to be exalted, and he's the one who delivered us. There's one other thing I want to share with you about worship. Because we don't want to reduce worship to music. It's, it's, a, it's a fundamental expression of praise to God. But worship is not simply uh, a melody or a, a style of music or certain instruments that are played. And I want to leave you with this. It's, it's about more than singing. Uh, it's about more than singing. It's about also living. Uh, look what happened. Right after they're filled with praise, life happens. And if you realize that, sometimes you kind of have a great moment and then something happens on the way home from church or happens on the way home from work or, or something just that you're just filled with this enthusiasm about life and then something, something wrong happens. Uh, let's read the, the latter part of this chapter. Uh, verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And, and they went three days in the wilderness and found, found the water. Uh, and when they came to Marah, they, they could not drink the water of Marah, for they were, they were bitter, and therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And if you haven't picked up what, I, what, what we just read there, you know, they, they, were, they were taken off from that great experience of God parting the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, and then they were in the desert, and as they were traveling, they were traveling for three days, and they'd, they'd run out of water. And it's one thing to be parts for a few hours, and maybe in a day or so, but now it had been three days, and now they're in panic mode. And though God had provided them every step of the way, now, now what has he done for me lately? And maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. Uh, why didn't God answer this last prayer I prayed for him? And maybe it wasn't even for you, it was for someone else you cared about. And you, you were just convinced that God would, would bring a healing or they would bring financial uh, blessing or they would somehow guide this person in a right decision or, or keep them from making the wrong decision. And it still happened. And, and that's where they were at because they're, God, well, you're not showing up now. We are, we are dying of thirst. And then all of a sudden their expectations get raised because they get to a body of water and, and they get down to drink and they realize the, the water's bitter. It's unable to be, to be used. And, and so now they're brought to that place. Well, if I really worship God and, and put him in that place which he deserves of supreme value and importance, am I now going to trust him? And, and worship is not simply trusting, it's not simply singing about him, but it's, it's living for him, which means do you trust him and do you follow him? Do you, 
do you believe in him and, and really do you obey him even when, when life is not going right? So what happens is, again, what happens, they complained to, to Moses. And so the people grumbled at Moses, verse 24, saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the, and the waters became sweet. Then he made for them a statue and, and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then so he said, I'm going to test you. Look, I, I provided for you right now, not because you were, you were trusting me, because you complained to me and had Moses cry out to me. But I'm going to be putting you on a test, and I want you to realize all those who who know me and have come to know me, I'm going to not only test your faith, but I'm going to grow your faith. And when you take the next step of obedience, and that's really what following the Lord is all about, it's, just, it's obeying him. It's taking him at his word and saying, I'm going to trust you and do what you've told me to do and be what you want me to be. And when that happens, I will provide. And then he gave him an object lesson. He said, I'm going to take you for the land of Mara, which has bitter water that I turned into fresh water. And they t- he took him to Oasis, verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. As we think about the worship challenges, the worship challenge is to realize, uh, let's, let's be honest, every, everyone worships because everyone's religious, because everyone has that in their life which is of supreme value and importance. And there's nothing wrong with the things that we value and important, but, but what has supreme value? What has supreme importance? Because really what that is, is, is God. And, and the second, as we think about it, it's, it's not about forms of worship. It's not about music styles. It's really about the content of what you're worshiping. And, and what does it mean to truly worship? It's, it's to understand it's all, it's all about God. It's about singing to God. It's about seeing what God, it's remembering what God has done and then remembering what God will do because of his promises. It's recognizing that, that we are not just to, to do this alone. We, we do life much better together. That's what the church is all about. We, we need each other. We don't come here just out of ritual. We come out because we need each other to encourage us, to support us, to, to, to challenge us, to hold us accountable, to, to magnify what we do separately when we do it corporately. And, and then to recognize that it's not about singing. It's about living it. And they went from a, the height of praise and remembering the party in the Red Sea. Now, now they were so far down, you couldn't really even see them. Why? Because things weren't going right. They, they, life wasn't easy. And again, it's, as we walk with God, it's going to be awesome, but it's not always going to be easy. He's going to test our faith for the purpose of growing our faith. So what's the point this morning? What, what, what are we really trying to say? What's the so what? Are you up to the challenge? And what is the challenge? The challenge is, are, are, are you at that place in your life where you, you want to live a life of worship? Not, not just for one day of the week, not for maybe even two days a week, but to live a life of worship is that wherever you go and whomever you're with, you're doing it in a way that you want to please God, which is an act of worship. You want to honor God by, by doing what he has said. You, you want to express that you really value everything that he has to say because you're willing to take that next step of obedience. That you're willing to express worship, which is acknowledging his value, his highest value and importance to your life. 
by recognizing it's really all about him. And it's really to be expressed to him because it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. There is no no greater experience in life to know about what's really important and about who is really important and and discovering his his life plan for you and for me. I I just want to urge you to, to live a life that honors and pleases God, which is an act of worship, by first knowing him and then living for him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I just thank you for all the lessons that we can glean from just an expression of of worship that was um, expressed and written down for us about a great victory, but then a great challenge. And Father, I would pray first of all again for anyone who has tuned in today online that if they don't know you, might they recognize it's all about as that one song that we sang today, I Surrender All. It's surrendering our lives to you. We admit our need and turn from our sin. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and paid the penalty for our sins. And then we choose to commit to believe and to follow Jesus Christ as the leader and forgiver of our our sins. And then, Father, for us to know you, might might we be a people marked by our, our life that wants to please you, living a life of worship that expresses love to you and obedience to you and seeks to do whatever we can to please you because it's really all about you. And we want to do it for you and to you. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.